You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Never Scoops podcast. Hope you're all having an incredible day today for Murder Monday. We're going to be talking about the Truro Murders which is one of South Australia's biggest and most notorious serial murders in history. Between December of 1976 and February 1977, Christopher Worrell and James Miller murdered seven young women in South Australia. Because of this, the name Truro will always be notorious and will forever be associated with one of the worst mass murders in Australian history. Before we get into this case, I just want to thank today's sponsor, Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you are a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to want to check out poddex.com. Use promo code Larry21 for 10% off your first order. That's L-A-R-R-Y 21. And if you join their uh, membership, you'll get access to a whole bunch of decks on their mobile app. And one of my favorites is the True Crime Deck. It's a really interesting take, and you can actually listen to an episode I did with that deck on the podcast. Just search True Crime Never Sleeps on all major podcast platforms. Now let's get on to the case. 23-year-old Christopher Worrell was born in Adelaide on the 17th of January, 1954. He never knew his father, and by the time he was six, his mother had remarried in his teens. He had remarried. In his teens, he joined the Royal Australian Air Force, and he spent some time in Victoria in Western Australia. 
Apparently, he also admitted to killing two girls while traveling from Western Australia to South Australia. But there's no evidence this actually happened. After serving in the Air Force, he'd moved back to Adelaide to live with his brother Danny for a while. And I guess kind of like one off the rails. He was described as charismatic and soci sociopathic, which I feel like are two very contradicting descriptions. But it is what it is. While there, he was put on a suspended sentence for rape charges, which he eventually broke when he was found guilty of raping another girl, and the judge described him as depraved, disgusting, and sentenced him to three years in jail. 40-year-old James Miller was born Melvin Raymond in 1938, but changed his name to James Miller, which is actually the same name as the founding father of the Truros. He was known as a bit of a loner. He didn't have any friends, and he ran away from home at an early age. By the time he was 11, he ended up at the Maggie Maggle Reform School. Starting in his teenage years, Miller gained an extensive criminal history, with over 30 convictions for car theft, larceny, breaking and entering, and stealing. And from age 20 to 40, he actually spent more time in jail than out. He ended up meeting Warren in jail after being sentenced to three months for breaking into a gun shop. While in prison, the two formed a sexual relationship, and Miller was actually known. After Miller was released, Laura was granted early parole, and the two men out met outside of jail and pretty much became inseparable. They lived in various different locations, but always together, they would always share the same accommodation, and even slept in the car together. They also continued a sexual relationship when I say too much. It's like Miller would give oral, oral sex while oral would read like BDSM magazines and porn. But over time, the relationship fizzled out because oral did prefer women. So eventually, they just became kind of more like brothers. Their killings began on the 23rd of December in 1976 when oral was 21 years old and Miller was 38. 18-year-old Veronica Knight had a pretty difficult childhood. Her mother died shortly after she was born. She was taken away from her father because he was a severe alcoholic. She spent the majority of her life in care at Brighton's home, which is basically for kids who couldn't be placed with a foster family. In 1974, when she was 16 years old, she met Peter and Jeanette Woods at an Anglican church youth group, and over the next two years, they grew super close. And Peter and Jeanette were really the closest thing Veronica ever had to a family. They helped to mentor and guide her through her final teenage years. Veronica was described as a competent, sociable, and kind girl. By 1976, she was living in the Sutherland Hostel. On 23rd of December 1976, 18-year-old Veronica Knight went out with a friend to do some last-minute shopping. Before her trip to Melbourne to go and visit Peter and Jeanette, while she was out shop shopping, she got separated from her friends and accepted a left home with Christopher Whirl and James Miller. Once she got in the car, the two men drove her to the Swamp Road near Truro, and a lot of the details of these attacks come from interviews with James Miller. So I guess just take them with a grain of salt. He claims once they stopped the car, he got out and walked away and said he was gone for around 20 minutes. It was while he was gone that Whirl all of a sudden attacked Veronica. She struggled hard and fought for her life, but the end, Oral overpowered her. 
tied her up, raped her, and then strangled her to death. When Miller returned to the car and found Veronica dead, he confronted Worrell, but Worrell pulled a knife on him and threatened to kill him too if he didn't help dispose of the body. So together, they dragged the body over to where a couple of trees were, and they just put some branches and some sticks on it, left her body there, drove back to Adelaide. Within 24 hours, Dorothy Reed, the matron who ran the Sutherland Hostel, Veronica and staying at at the time of her disappearance, contacted the police to report her missing. The police just kind of said, oh, you know, she probably just ran away. They didn't really look into it. Dorothy badgered police for some time after this to get updates on the case. But the missing person report just got shelved and they never really looked into it. After Veronica's murder, Worrell and Miller kept driving around Adelaide, mostly looking at bus stops and train stations for their next victim. And on the 2nd of January, 1977, they came across 15-year-old Tanya Kennedy. Tanya had been staying with some friends in Victoria Harbor just after Christmas. And on the 2nd of January, she just hitchhiked back to Adelaide. James claims that day he dropped Oral at Rundle Mall and went for a drive. And then when he got back to the mall, Oral was with a girl. Laurel and Tanya got in the car and Miller drove them to his sister's old house, which was an unoccupied house in Woodville. When they got there... Miller stayed in the car while Whirl and Tanya went inside. While inside, Whirl attacked her. Miller said he heard a scream a little while after they went inside. When he went in to check, check it out, he found that Whirl had strangled Tanya to death. He said that she had had a sharp line around her neck, which indicated that he had used like a guitar string or something similar. It was still light out when this happened. So Miller and Worrell locked the house up, drove to an old rifle range in Wingfield where they dug a shallow grave. They then went and got Tanya's body when it was dark, took her back to Wingfield to bury her that night. When Tanya didn't get home, her parents weren't like crazy worried or anything. They just assumed that she had gone to stay at a friend's house for the night. The next day, when they still hadn't heard from her and couldn't get in contact with her, they went to the police to report her missing. Police did look into the case, However, they didn't connect it to Veronica Knight's disappearance at this point. Julia Makita was born to Anne and Mike Makita, both of whom were teachers. They were a close and loving family, and Anne and Mike really trusted their children. On the 21st of January 1977, just 19 days after Tanya's murder, 16-year-old Julia had been working at a part-time job in the city called her parents that night to let them know she'd be getting home late by 9 p.m. She was waiting at the bus stop outside a hotel on King William Street, and it was then that she was approached by Christopher Worrell. He offered her a lift, and she accepted. Miller was driving once again, and he drove them to a secluded spot in Port Wakefield. And he reckons when they got there, he got out and went for a walk, as he always seems to do conveniently when shit happens the fan. While he was on his walk, Worrell attacked Julie in the back seat and tried to tie her up, but somehow she managed to escape and ran towards the nearby paddock. Unfortunately, though, Worrell caught up with her and tackled her to the ground. Miller claims that he heard Julie struggling and returned to the car to find Worrell pinning her down on the ground. He claims that he tried to pull Worrell off, that he wasn't strong enough, and that Worrell threatened to kill him once again. So as Miller watches on, Worrell holds down the terrified Julie and strangles her to death. The two men then put her body in the boot or in the trunk of the car, drove her to Truro, put her body on the ground, and covered her with sticks and branches. 
The next morning, Julie's dad woke up and initially he was actually pretty mad at her because she hadn't come home. She hadn't contacted them, let him know that she wouldn't be coming home. So the afternoon of that day was the last time they saw her alive. He started to get really worried, so he called around to all of her friends, none of whom had seen or heard from her. And so he contacted the police, and the police in this case, and it's just really frustrating because they told him, oh, you know, she's probably just with a friend or something. Oh, you know, maybe she ran away. You know teenagers always do that sort of thing. Two weeks later, on the 6th of February, Miller and Whirl found their next victim. Or should I say Whirl found their ne his next victim? Conveniently. Six-year-old Sylvia Pittman was waiting for the train at Adelaide Railway Station when she was approached by Whirl, who offered her a lift to wherever she was going. She accepted. Miller drove them all to Wingfield. When they got there, Whirl told Miller to go for a walk again. And while he was gone, raped and strangled Sylvia to death in the back seat of the car. When Miller got back to the car about 20 minutes later, Sylvia was already dead. He drove them to Churro, where they dumped her body and covered it in branches and sticks. And then, within 24 hours, Miller and Worrell struck again. On the 7th of February, Worrell told Miller to meet him at the Adelaide post office at 7 p.m. And when he arrived, Worrell was with Vicki Howell. Vicki was a 26-year-old woman who was in a bit of a slump in her life. She had just separated from her husband after an unhappy marriage, and she was just kind of going through, if you know, Worrell had convinced her to go on a drive into the Barossa Valley, and she had accepted. So Miller drives them out along the Barossa Valley Highway until they get to... Once again, Miller um, pulls over, gets out, goes to the bushes to go to the bathroom, leaving Worrell and Vicky in the backseat alone. Worrell then attacked her as she fought for her life. He tore her pantyhose off and used them to strangle her to death. When Miller got back in the car, Worrell was already covering her body with a blanket. He told Miller to get in the car and drive the two men. And drive. The two men argued a lot about this matter, apparently. Miller thought that Vicky was a nice girl who didn't deserve to die. Worrell, once again, threatened to kill him if he disagreed with him or had anything to say about the murders. So they drove back into town and dumped the body, covering it in sticks and branches before heading back to Adelaide. Two days later, they attacked again. So by this point, their killing spree is beginning to pick up the pace. I guess they thought that they'd gotten away with it so many times that they just felt invincible and decided to amp up the pace. So two days later, on the 9th of February, when they were driving around Adelaide City, they came across 16-year-old Connie Mordenitis, known to friends and family as Connie while they were driving around in the city, they got pulled over by the police for a defect, defect notice or something. And as they were pulled over, this girl Connie walks past and Worrell just cannot keep his eyes off her. So when the police eventually leave, he tells Miller to go and drive up to her. Worrell starts chatting her up through the window and asks her if she wants a lift. Connie accepts. Miller drives the opposite direction of where she was intending to go. When they get there, Miller gets out of the car again. Where do you think he went for a walk while he's gone? Whirl attacks Connie, rapes her, and strangles her to death. Miller heard her screaming and returned to the car, only to find that she was already dead. Shocking.
The men then drove to Truro and disposed of her body the same manner as the previous five victims. Drove back into Adelaide and slept in their car that night at Victoria Park Racecourse. Three days later, they drove around Adelaide City, coming across 20-year-old Deborah Lamb. Trying to hitchhike on Hinley Street, they pulled over and offered her a lift. She accepted, got in the car, and when they got to Port Gola, Miller, as usual, got out and went for a walk. Conveniently again, Deborah's murder was the most violent so far. Worrell attacked her, dragged her from the car, forced, herself, forced himself on top of her, tied up her hands, and then put a gag in her mouth. He then took her pantyhose off and wrapped them around her neck and head seven times. He then dragged her body into a small sandy alcove, and it was found later that she was actually buried alive. A week later, on the 19th of February, Deborah Skews had just recently left her boyfriend, who was a criminal and had met Warrell Miller in jail. So she knew the two men through her ex-boyfriend, and that day, on the 19th, they went to her house looking for her ex-boyfriend and found her alone, offered her to take her away for the weekend to Mount Gambia. While they were down there, Warrell got in this really bad mood. He got super angry and decided they should all go back to Adelaide after having a few beers. Warrell decided to drive them back instead of Miller, who normally drives. And he was, you know, speeding. He was driving really crazy. Three of them actually got in an argument over how crazy he was driving. And then one of the tires blew. Warrell swore to avoid oncoming traffic, and the car rolled over multiple times. Witnesses rushed over to help, but it was already too late for Warrell and Debbie, who were killed in the accident. Miller, however, only suffered a broken shoulder and was rushed to a hospital. Was shocked a few days later when Worrell's funeral was held. Miller obviously attended, but while he was there, he spoke to one of Worrell's former girlfriends named Amelia and just like told her everything all about the murders. He told her that it was getting worse lately, that it was happening more often, and that maybe it was a good thing that Worrell died, but she didn't actually go to the cops or anything at this time. After Worrell's death, Miller became really depressed. After losing his best friend, you know, his lover, and he actually ended up becoming homeless. Fourteen months after Worrell was killed in the car accident, Veronica Knight's remains were found on the 25th of April in 1978. William Thomas and his wife, Valba Thomas, were out in Paddock near Swamp Road looking for mushrooms just outside of Truro when they came across what they thought was animal bones. They went home that night. Rebelda just had a really bad feeling about those bones. So she went back the next day, even though it was like an hour away from where they lived, just to check out the bones again. She couldn't sleep, and she was getting premonitions that someone was calling her back to go back there. While she, which she ignored initially, the next night, the same thing happened. His feeling was so strong that they had to. They were compelled to go back, which is an hour's drive. That's when they realized that the bones had actually been attached to a shoe. And inside the shoe was a human foot, still with skin, and painted toenails, all attached. They also ended up finding clothes and blood stains and more bones nearby. So they called the police. Upon looking at the bones, police determined that they were likely the remains of a teenage girl. But due to the state of the remains, they weren't able to determine how she died or how she even got to where she was. Bones were collected and brought back to Adelaide. Dental records were used to confirm the body 
uh, Veronica Knight. At least, though, really didn't think much of it. The area she was found in could be, like, pretty harsh, hot and dry conditions, so they thought that maybe she just walked off into the bush, became disoriented, and died due to the elements. Died of thirst, you know, and that's it. It wasn't until a year later when police got another lead, which actually prompted them to look into the case. On the 15th of April in 1979, four bushwalkers discovered the remains of 16-year-old Sylvia Pittman, about a kilometer from where Veronica's remains had been found. With the two bodies found in such close proximity of each other, police finally started to connect the dots. They then organized a huge search of the area to see if there were any other bodies there. And that's when they found a skull on the opposite side of Swamp Road. It was pretty open to police to the point where police were like, how did we not see that? Like, it's literally just sitting there staring at us. It wasn't covered or buried or anything, which makes sense because a lot of the time Miller and Whirl would simply just put branches and sticks over the body, and that was it. Then not long after that, during their search, they also found the remains of a fourth body. Both bodies were in an advanced state of decomposition, so once again, they had to use dental records to identify them. They then positively identified them as Vicki Howell and Connie Jordan. All victims were found partially buried in the same area. So, police now believe that Veronica was the first of the girls to be murdered. Serial killers were like a pretty new phenomenon in Australia at the time, but after finding these four bodies in such similar ways in the same area, Police now believe that they were dealing with a serial killer. Within hours of discovering the remains of Vicky and Connie, the media was all over the case. And over the next few weeks, police received hundreds and hundreds of tips. With leads over those few weeks, police weren't really getting anywhere because, I mean, there really wasn't that much evidence besides the actual bones themselves. Then police looked into this report they received about the death of a former prison inmate, Christopher Whirl, who, when they looked into him, you know, he obviously had been convicted of multiple violent sexual crimes, and then find he was killed in a car accident, or at the same time as all the murders of these young women. So police appealed to the public, and they offered a 30000 reward for any information that could lead to the killer, and that is when, in May of 1979, Whirl's former girlfriend collects the 30000 reward and tells police that she had heard from James Miller that Whirl had been raping girls and dumping their bodies up near Truro. She claims the reason she didn't come to the police sooner because there was no proof that what Miller was saying was true. And also because there was no point in going to the police because Whirl was already dead. Which, uh, I don't know if I share the sentiment. I feel like even if the killer is dead, you still want to give the victim's family closure. So you should go to the police, right? Seems like she just maybe came forward for the 30000 But either way, I'm just glad she came forward. Because without her, it's likely the case never would have been solved. Based on what she told police, it was obvious that Whirl and Miller were the guys that they were looking for. So they went and they tracked down Miller and arrested him and brought him in for questioning. On the 23rd of May, 1979. And at first, he denied knowing anything about the murders at all. But then he eventually tells police should have done what Amelia had done, and he kind of confessed everything, but he denied having any involvement in the killings. Yeah, because you always walk out and do something when all the victims were being murdered. He 
said his world was solely responsible for raping and murdering the girls when Detective Glenn Laurie decided it was time to charge Miller. They took him down to the charge room, and within three minutes, Miller told them, Hey, there's actually three more bodies, and I can take you to them. Under police escort, he's driven to Truro, five kilometers past Swamp Road on the left-hand side. Down about 1.5 kilometers, he directed police to turn into an old abandoned farmhouse where the body of Juliet Makita is found. He then takes detectives to Port Gala, where Deborah Lamb was buried. And because it was so dark, her body was actually really hard to locate. Police began a detailed search. And once they found her remains, it took them more than two hours to actually dig her body fully out. While that was happening, Miller was then driven to Wingfield, where the body of 15-year-old Tanya Kenny was found. Her remains were found at the Dean Rifle Range at the end of a track leading to the target mound. It's nearly dawn when James Miller is driven back to police headquarters and formally charged with the murders. On the 12th of March in 1980, he was found guilty of six counts. One count for each of the girls he murdered. Except for that of Veronica Knight for the six murders, he was then sentenced to six life sentences. His parole was set for 2014, but he died of cancer in 2008 after serving 24 years in prison. And he was actually the longest serving prisoner in South Australia before his death. While in prison, he actually wrote a book called Don't Call Me Killer. The description of the book is the truth of Churro, a chilling testament from a prison cell by the lifer who helped his lover bury six of the seven murdered girls. Despite his conviction, most people believe that there's more to the story. I know a lot of people believe, and that is all we have for Murder Monday. Let us know your thoughts on this case. Send us a tweet at True Crime NS, or leave a comment in the comment section below. What do you think happened? Is Miller more involved than he claims to be? If you want to support the show, consider buying us a coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps this show grow. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at True Crime NS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash true crime never sleeps slash message. Tune in next week for an all-new episode. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.